Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing! You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 353, and today we are talking about books being released on March 15, 2022, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Tears of Price, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Tears of hello! Hello, Liberty, how are you? I'm okay, but more importantly, I heard a noise in the background. Was that the puppy? Um, I hope not, because he should be. He's definitely, like, you know, put in a place where he's not going to yip, because he's very, he's very yippy. It's very adorable, but that's probably not the best for a podcast. But yes, I, I got a puppy. He's so cute. What's his name? His name is Zeke. He is an eight-week-old golden retriever, and he's adorable. I We're in love. Of course. You know, he's just very, very puppy-like. Woke us up every hour last night. It was awesome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, he's in a new house. He doesn't know where he is. Yes. We, he wants to make sure you're still there. We basically told him, like, we understand. We totally kidnapped you. You're not going to get ransomed. Like, this is your life now. It's okay to be a little bit nervous. But also, uh, we would love to get to the point where we're crate trained and, and we're not getting up every hour. <laughs> but it'll come with time. Yeah. Yeah, it's to be expected right now. Yes. So how does he like the other members of his family? How do they like him, I guess I should say, since they were there first? Zeke loves everything and everyone, and he, like, just kind of embraces everybody with, like, boundless enthusiasm. Like, he's such a puppy where he just, like, wants to run up to you and play. A scout, our dog, is currently in denial. She pretends that the puppy isn't there, and she's very put out with us right now. Um, But it's very new. The puppy's been in the home for less than 24 hours, so hopefully she'll come around. Oh, my goodness. For some reason, so much time. I feel like so much time has gone by that you got him, like, days ago now. Yeah, no, we got him. Well, technically, we got him the day before yesterday, but we just got home yesterday. So, yes, he's... He's very much still figuring out his his place. The oldest cat, Oliver, he's kind of like, what the heck? And he he took to the top of the fridge and he just kind of chills up there watching everything. (laughs) Um, But poor Jin, he was our pandemic kitten and he is like, I don't understand what's going on. So he'll kind of like creep into a room and he'll watch the puppy and then he'll run away. And he'll creep into a uh, room and watch and then he'll run away. So we're definitely in an adjustment period, but like nobody is... You know, everybody is coming around, I think, and we're all being very gentle with the puppy. And he's just like, woo, let me play with everything. So even the cat toys and the cats are just kind of like, eh, gross. But oh, yeah, no, they don't differentiate in toys. It's like, no, you know, they have to play with everything. 
Now you have all kinds of sentient creatures in your house. I know. We have, like, I think we've definitely hit our hard limit of pets. Um, you know, <laughs> we've got two dogs, two cats, no more. But it's really been a lot of fun. And he's, yeah, he's really cute. I just forget, like, how puppies have to, like, experience the world through their mouths for, like, the first however many months of their lives. So I'm constantly, yeah. like, taking stuff out of his mouth and replacing it with a toy. And he's like, this is boring. I've already chewed on this. Let me go get that shoe or that slipper or that electrical cord. So, yeah, you really have to watch him. <laughs> but he's fun. Yeah. I have a cat like that still. He's oh. three now. And it's con- it's a constant game of what's in your mouth. <laughs> he he has chewed the corner off three of my bookcases now. <sighs> like, literally chewed the wood so that the corner is, like, all rough. Oh, kitty. And I don't know what's wrong with him. You know, I, I've asked the vet a million times. They're like, sometimes cats just do that. I'm like, oh, but why does it have to be this one? <laughs> right. You know, but he'll eat anything that isn't nailed down. You have to watch him at all times. Oh my he'll God. just suddenly decide, like, I think I should chew a hole in the corner of this blanket today. Oh and then my. the next day it's like, I think I should eat uh, the I should eat the bottom of this potato chip bag and, and see what happens. You know, it's just like, <sighs> he's wild. Pets. Our cat Jin has chewed on all of our dining room chairs and they're like this black metal. Uh, so you can like see the scratches and I'm just like, yeah, I, I mean, it, what's done is done. I can only get so upset about it. They were cheap dining room chairs. <laughs> <It's>, yeah, <laughs> But like, you're like, this is why I can't have nice things, cat. Yeah. It's to be expected, though. I mean, people have children. The children do these kinds of things. You know, we have pets. They do these kinds of things. Exactly. Uh, you know, except they don't understand when you tell them not to do it anymore. <laughs> so... Yeah. And thus endeth the pet segment of our show for today. <laughs> Let's see. Now we're going to talk about books. Yeah. We're, we're going to change it up and do something wild today and talk <laughs> about books, you know, for a change. Um, there are so many great books out today. I'm continuously impressed with 2022. Yes. As far as new book releases. I mean, it's not just like the first Tuesday of the month now. It's like every Tuesday is bonkers. Yeah. It's so good. So we are going to start telling you about those. And I mean, of course, I'm going to ask her's like 800 million more questions <laughs> about her puppy, but I'm going to do that like after the show. Uh, so for now, first, we're going to hear from a sponsor. Explode your to be read pile with the new release index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing. Okay, so... I didn't even know where to start today because I want to talk about all of my picks first. So I wrote them on a piece of paper and I pointed to each one to decide like what order I was going to talk about them in. Um, and so first up for me is The Cartographers by Pung Shepherd. It is this wonderful, slight mystery, speculative novel. It's so hard to describe, but I just love it so much. It's about a young woman named Nell Young. I almost called her Neil Young in reading my notes because my handwriting is terrible. Um, Her name is Nell Young, and she's a cartographer. If you don't know what a cartographer is, it's someone who makes maps. And Nell's father was also a cartographer. And at one point, they used to work together at a museum until one day Nell found this map in his office that looked very unusual. And she asked him about it, and he said, 
that's nothing. Don't pay any attention to that. You know, it's not a big deal. And she kept pressing the issue, kept saying like, what is this? It's so unusual. And until it caused this huge fight between them. And he ends up getting her fired from the museum. Like, it's that big a deal. He's so angry that she won't drop the issue of this map. And it causes that big rift. So now she's working at a different place on her own as a cartographer. And she learns that her father has died. And, you know, they haven't talked to many years. And she's, she's very upset and shocked by this. And when she goes to his office at the museum, she discovers that he still has this map hanging around in the office. And now that he's not there to say, you know, leave it alone, she starts digging into it and she goes searching for it on the internet. But this is the internet and it turns out this map is very special and there are people out there who are looking for people who are looking for this map. Uh, And it leads to all this intrigue and adventure. It leads her to this group of cartographers that existed decades ago and a dangerous villain who has been trying to hunt down every copy of this strange map and destroy it, even if it means leaving a trail of bodies in their wake. And Nell is determined to find out the map's origin and just where it leads. And it sends her on this adventure where she makes all these new friends and she finds out all these new things. And it's a little, it's a little, I can't say anything else without like spoiling it, but it's just so, okay, so I've just told you like there's violence and murder, but when I read this book, I was like, that was like a really nice, like gentle book. It was just really charming. It gave off a lot of vibes of Mr. Penumbra's 24 hour bookstore. If you like like a mystery puzzle kind of book. And I really liked the reveals. I liked where the map led. And I just thought it was it was great. I really enjoyed Shepard's first book, The Book of M, which was about a sleeping sickness that came out a few years ago. And I highly recommend picking that one up. But I loved this one even more. Uh, I do want to give content warnings for infidelity, violence, murder, and death of a loved one. This is The Cartographers by Pung Shepard. And you can get it now. Yay! I actually got that in my book of the month uh, box, and I'm really excited to dive into it. It's so good. Plus, the cover is so beautiful. Gorgeous. All right. So my first pick is a sequel to a book that I'm pretty sure I talked about on the show last year. It is The League of Gentlewomen Witches by India Holen. It is the sequel to the Wisteria Society of Lady Scoundrels. And oh my gosh, it's so much fun. You do not have to read the Wisteria Society in order to get this book, but like think that your enjoyment would be increased if you read them both because they are fun, historical, with magical twists. So they're set in a alternate Victorian time period where pirates, lady pirates, and magic kind of reign supreme, I guess. There are these groups of people, there's pirates and there's witches, and allegedly they absolutely hate each other and they have this, you know, rousing sort of feud that's been going on for decades and they're constantly competing with one another. And when the this magical amulet is rediscovered, it sort of sets off this whole book. So the book stars uh, Miss Charlotte Pettifer and she is of a family of witches and she has been prophesied to basically be the next leader of the witches there in England. And when the amulet is discovered and presented in the museum, she's like, well, I got to go steal that amulet because basically it's my birthright. And she unfortunately is competing against all manner of 
pirates and villains and whatnot. Um, and it's really funny because they're like all staking out the museum, trying to figure out the best way to steal this amulet. And she runs into an Irish pirate who is also after the amulet. And they sort of start on this merry war of words that turns a bit heated when somebody else steals the amulet out from underneath them. And they go on a merry chase in this pirate's flying house because, yeah, there are flying houses in this book series. Like I forgot to mention that the pirates um, don't fly ships, they fly houses with magic. It sounds completely bonkers, but like you just have to go with it because it's utterly delightful. One of the things that I really love about this book and um, the previous book as well is that India Holton really pokes a lot of fun at certain tropes throughout um, literature. So in Wisteria Society, it was all about making fun of Gothic literature and the League of Gentlewomen Witches. It's all about um, like homages to Jane Austen. And there's so many Austen jokes in this book. I was, you know, very delighted as an Austen fan myself. Um, So yeah, it's a really fun, magical, bonkers, madcap, romantic adventure. And yes, this is a romance there. There is sexy times in this romance. So just be aware that it leans more towards the romantic than the adventure. But you have both in equal amounts. So that is The League of Gentlewomen Witches by India Holen. It is an utter delight. Absolutely delighted by this one, as well as the first one, which was a New York Times notable book of the year. Yeah. The the last one. It's the Wisteria Society of Lady Scoundrels. Is that the person? Yes. One? I think that's, there's so many, there's so many adjectives in these titles. I'm like, I don't know. The, the titles trip me up, but I love them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, they're, they're so much fun. So switching gears, my next pick is a book that kept me awake. It is The Book of Cold Cases by Simone St. James, who most recently wrote The Sundown Motel, which is a creepy thriller. And St. James has a lot of creepy thrillers. And this is another great one. And it's also one of those books that incorporates podcasts and true crime fanatics, which is a thing that I love in books that have been coming out the last couple of years. Uh, And so it takes place in a small town in Oregon called Claire Lake, and the main character is named Shay Collins. She is a receptionist at a doctor's office, and at night, she runs a website about cold cases. She's obsessed with true crime, and partly because the town that she lives in has one of the most notorious unsolved true crime cases in history. It's the Lady Killer case uh, about some murders that took place 40 years prior. There wasn't a suspect in those cases, a woman named Beth Greer, who was the daughter of the town's wealthiest family. Her parents had died. She was very eccentric. She lived alone in her home and she was suspected in these killings, but she was never convicted. She was acquitted. And for the last four decades, she's lived up in the hill, on the hill, excuse me, in her big giant mansion and hardly anyone ever sees her. And, You know, of course, Shay is wildly curious about her as a true crime fanatic. And one day, Shay is working at the doctor's office and a patient comes in for an appointment and she realizes it's this woman, Beth Greer, the suspected lady killer. And instead of doing her job, like she should, she leaves her job and runs after her and asks her, you know, can I interview you for my podcast? And to her surprise, Beth says yes. But now Shay is like, 
why all of a sudden after 40 years and not giving any interviews and not talking to anybody has this woman decided to talk to me, you know, so she doesn't know like what's going to happen. But Beth tells her that she has to go to her family's mansion for the interview. Uh, So Shay starts digging into the lady killer case and she's interviewing, you know, key players and witnesses and researching old files. And she discovers some pretty startling things. Now, in between the events with Shay and Beth in the present day, we are taken back in alternating chapters to the past and Beth 40 years ago and the case and what was going on back then, you know, the lady killer case and when she's arrested and what happens then. And we also know that Shay has her own secret that she is hiding. I'm not giving you any spoilers by telling you, because it's right in the description, that when she was a little kid, uh, she was abducted. And so it's always stayed with her and driven her fascination with unsolved cases. So is her desperate need to get to the bottom of cold cases a way for her to avoid dealing with her own past, to reconcile with her past? You know, is it really healthy for her to be spending all this time thinking about crime? It's so fun. It goes by so fast. And also, I don't know, I'm usually pretty hard to frighten, but there was this like one little part in the book where I was reading it in the middle of the night because one, that's a bad idea right there. And two, uh, I think my husband was at his father's house that night. So again, a bad idea. And there was this one part where I'm like, "Uh oh, oh, hell no. Oh, hell no. Uh oh. Like, I just was like, I'm not going to sleep now. And and just totally gave me the creeps, which I loved because it's a mystery, but also scared me, which is so fun. If you love, you know, true crime, if you love thrillers, if you love being scared, this one will ring all your bells. There are a lot of content warnings. Uh, Child kidnapping, sexual assault, murder, chemical abuse, car accidents, police brutality, infidelity, mental illness, child endangerment. That is The Book of Cold Cases, and it's by Simone St. James. That's also on my TBR. I just got a finished copy of it. Can't wait. All right. So my next pick is this really beautiful graphic novel, and it's actually a wordless graphic novel. It's called Isla to Island by Alexis Castellanos. And I mean, technically, I think it's written or written slash illustrated more towards younger readers in mind. But honestly, it's like an all ages type of book. So it is a wordless graphic novel. And it is the story of a young girl who is growing up in Cuba in the 1960s. And she has like this really beautiful life with two parents who adore her. And the Illustrations are just this gorgeous, colorful, you know, bright depictions of her life in Cuba. She loves flowers. She loves books. Her parents encourage her love of flowers by buying her um, nature books and books that help her identify, um, you know, the different flowers and all sorts of wonderful, beautiful plants that she can find on her island. However, in the background is uh, Fidel Castro's regime in Cuba, which is very scary. And when violence erupts in the streets outside of her house and actually shatters one of her bedroom windows, her parents make the heartbreaking decision to send her to the United States in Operation Peter Pan. And if you are unfamiliar with Operation Peter Pan, it was basically a secret movement based um, the Catholic Church was sort of responsible for or a particular Catholic priest was responsible for 
whisking away a lot of children outside of the country for fear that, you know, they would be hurt during the conflict. And so it had to be kept secret from Fidel Castro's government. And in fact, the United States media and government was helping keep it secret so that they could extract as many children as possible. It didn't run for a very long time. And unfortunately, the program did have, you know, its flaws where, you know, they couldn't keep track of some kids or kids weren't necessarily placed in the best houses. But this is the story of our little protagonist who actually leaves And she is placed with this really nice older couple in in New York City. And they care for her, but they also struggle to connect with her. So when she arrives in New York, the color palette is all gray and black. There's no color in her world. And she's very sad. Um, But slowly through the course of the following months, um, because it's winter when she arrives, um, spring starts to come to New York City and she starts seeing flowers and she discovers the library and they realize that she loves plants and she loves books and her foster parents uh, make an effort to connect with her over, you know, her love of these things and also you know, through food and her culture. And slowly the color starts to seep back into her world until she is reunited with her parents. And it's just a really beautiful, colorful, um, moving story. I was a little bit surprised that there were no words in it. But this is truly a story that, you know, you don't need words to understand what's going on. You can just feel the emotion on the page. And I think that um, the author illustrator did such a wonderful job with that. So that is Isla to Island by Alexis Castellanos. All right. My next pick is somewhat related because it's about a Cuban American. It is Secret Identity by Alex Segura. You've probably heard about this book because it's received all the stars. It's been getting tons of great reviews everywhere. And I feel like it's been talked about for years and years now. And it's finally here. So it is Secret Identity. And it's set in 1975 in New York City. Carmen Valdez works at Triumph Comics. This is itself a triumph because she is a young woman working in comics in the 1970s, which is pretty unheard of. And, you know, Triumph Comics is a pretty well-known comic publisher. They're not like Marvel or DC, but, um, you know, they've got some great stuff out there. And she really wants to write a superhero book. And she's got all these ideas, but, you know, she's just working like in editing because she's or and and as an assistant because you know they're like oh you know all the men have all the jobs and then one day one of her co-workers harvey uh, asks her to help him come up with a new character and they create the lethal links which is triumph's first female superhero but Carmen, while excited about this, gets, like, these weird vibes from Harvey. Like, he seems kind of shady and nervous, and it's not long after they finish their first script that Harvey is found murdered in his home. And then Carmen discovers that he had turned in their scripts to their boss and left her name off of them. And now the publisher is running this comic, The Lethal Links, without giving her any credit for it. And it's a runaway hit and she doesn't know what to do because 
She's kind of nervous about what happened to Harvey. She suspects that maybe it's somebody who works at the comic place who murdered him. She herself is a suspect in his murder. She also has some secrets that she's keeping from the people around her. And then someone from her past shows up and starts makes her very nervous. And the police are prying. And so it's all a big mess for her. She doesn't know what she's going to do. It's just this really great book of secrets, you know, secret identity, obviously referring to, like, a comic hero, but also Carmen has her own secret identity. Uh, You know, she's a superhero pushing back against misogyny, but also she's hiding her sexuality from her coworkers and her family. And she's also hiding some other secrets that, you know, she doesn't want people to know about. It goes by so fast. Plus, Alex Segura has written comics in the past, and I'm assuming will continue to, uh, so he knows his stuff about comics, and also there are actual pages from the Lethal Links included in the book, which is so exciting because I read a galley of this and I didn't get to see the artwork, uh, and so they sent me a physical copy, and it's beautiful. There's uh, several pages of this comic illustrated by Sandy Jarrell and lettered by Taylor Esposito, which is also included in the book, and it's really fun. And I really liked the setting of 1970s New York City, and I just love it. So I'll let it speak for itself. You can check it out. It's Secret Identity by Alex Segura. I guess I'll let it speak for itself now, now that I've said, like, a lot of words about it is what I meant to say. But it's just so much fun! And now that takes us to our next sponsor. All right, Tirza, what do you have for us? All right, so my next pick is a book that I feel like I have to disclose a friend. A friend wrote this. I read a draft before it sold. However, I think it's super fantastic, and I can't wait. Um, It is Air by Monica Rowe, out from Macmillan Books today, and it is a middle-grade novel. And it is about Emmy. She is 12 years old. She is in middle school. She lives in a really rural town. And she also uses a wheelchair. And she is like really super obsessed with WCMX, which stands for basically wheelchair motocross. And if you're unfamiliar with the sport, it's basically like doing the types of like bike and skateboard tricks but like in a wheelchair and so she is just like a kid who loves speed is always on the go and she used to you know practice her tricks with her dad but unfortunately her mom passed away um, relatively recently and as a result her dad has to you know work a lot and he doesn't have as much time to help her out with her tricks. So she's kind of always, you know, doing them on the side, even though he's kind of warning her like, hey, don't do those alone. You know, think about safety. And she's just like, I want speed. So one day she is at school and her school, like I said, it's pretty rural and um, they don't have like the best infrastructure in place. And there's this really shoddy ramp at her school and she is going on this ramp and she's totally like in control, but somebody tries to help her with her wheelchair and she actually takes a fall. 
And she's really annoyed because she was like, I wouldn't have fallen if people hadn't tried to interfere. Like, I know how to handle myself. But the school has the reaction that like, oh, no, we can't have the girl who uses the wheelchair falling on our school property. That's a liability. So they sign her an aid. And Emmy is livid because she doesn't want an aid. And she's completely capable of getting around on her own. So she and her friends concoct, you know, this hilarious scheme to ditch her aid whenever possible. Um, At the same time, you know, she's also trying to raise money to buy her own tricked out wheelchair that will be safer and better for her WCMX dreams and aspirations and tricks. And she's actually got that covered. She has an Etsy shop where she makes bags for wheelchairs and mobility aids and she sells them. And she is actually quite successful at it because... That's like a very much a big business on Etsy. As a personal aside, I've totally purchased bags um, from uh, shops that actually do a lot of mobility aid bags as well. And it's like incredible the number of different bags that you can have in all the different ways that you can sort of trick out your device with these bags. Like I had no clue until I saw this Etsy shop. So and then I read this book and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. So anywho. Emmy is on her way. She's probably guessing that she'll, within a year or so, she'll have enough money to buy the chair that she wants. However, after, you know, being assigned an aide, the aide sort of catches on to Emmy's plan that she is raising money for this chair. And she goes to the school administration and is like, oh, we should have a fundraiser for Emmy so she can get her chair sooner. And that actually really ticks Emmy off because she doesn't like people looking at her as this charity case and as somebody who like needs money. You know, she's got a plan. She's totally capable of raising the money on her own. She wants to do it on her own terms. So it, you know, creates a lot of tension between her and the aide and the school. And she has to kind of figure out, like, how is she going to communicate her autonomy and stand her ground with this administration, um, who, you know, probably should be using the money to improve their ramps rather than try to help out any. And it's just really smart. It's funny. Um, I hope that, you know, I learned a lot about sort of rewriting a lot of ableist views that I have grown up with and, you know, learning that, like, hey, you know, don't like reframe your thinking about people with disabilities and people who use wheelchairs because it's, you know, society's really bad about casting people um, in a very ableist light. So I thought it was a really fun book. I hope a lot of kids and adults enjoy it. It is Air by Monica Rowe. Okay, so my last pick for today is going in a wildly different direction. Just completely (laughs) different. And... It is Riding with Evil, Taking Down the Notorious Pagan Motorcycle Gang by Ken Croak with Dave Wedge. This, it just came across my desk one day at just the right time, and I was like, I'm going to read this true crime, you know, infiltrating gang book, and it was really good. If you like gritty true crime, if you like things like The Departed or Donnie Brasco, where people go undercover, uh, you know, in the case of Donnie Brasco, like, for real, it's a real story. This is the book for you. Ken Croak is a former ATF agent. He started working, like, in 1990. 
And by the time he retired a few years ago, he had been involved in like over 1,000 operations. Uh, but this was a big one. There was a motorcycle club. This is like just prior to when the internet really took off and, and cyber crime and, and all the stuff where these gangs were, you know, driving truckloads of drugs and weapons across the country and doing all kinds of horrible things. And which I'm sure probably still happens, but this was before they could communicate with each other, you know, on the internet. And there was this really bad white supremacist biker gang called the Pagan Motorcycle Club. And so Ken Croak was given the assignment of infiltrating them. So, you know, he did the thing where he had to, like, grow his hair out and start dressing differently and start hanging out in these kind of sketchy places to make acquaintances and then, you know, uh, ingratiate himself, if that's the word I want, I think, to these people so that they start to trust him. And that takes a very long time. And, you know, finally he meets this guy and they vouch for him. And suddenly he's a member of this group and he's there for like protection. He's supposed to be muscle and he's observing, you know, all these crimes and some pretty horrific stuff uh, and meeting some really horrific people, including one man whose name was... Hog something. I, I've almost blocked it out of my head because he's so disgusting and horrible. Um, you'll just be horrified that this is an actual person who existed. But, you know, the gang is involved in drugs and violence and sexual assault. And Ken Croak's life is in danger all the time. Uh, you know, he's constantly in danger of being exposed. Uh, there are, are members, there are people that he met that, like, disappeared all of a sudden, um, they test him sometimes because they're worried that he might be a cop, you know, and now he's spending all this time away from his family. And it goes on for a really long time until, you know, eventually, you know, they, they bust the, this gang, which is right there in the title. It's not a spoiler. And it's just, it was just so fascinating to me. There are not quite the Donnie Brasco moments that you expect from these kind of things where he can't tell, you know, if he's good or evil anymore or, you know... You know, obviously he misses his family. There's some problems there, but, like, nothing, like, serious like that. Also, there's no biker bar dance sequence like in Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which I was a little disappointed about, but <laughs> that's okay, too. You know, but because of his work, you know, some dangerous people went to jail. Uh, and the agency also changed how they did things. He was a higher-ranking agent who was left in this position for an extremely long time, and no one is allowed to be undercover that long anymore. And also, I read these things... Especially as I get older, I keep thinking this more and more, like, how did people end up here? Like, how did people start off as cavemen trying to make fire, and now they're, like, either criminals who run these gangs or people who want to work infiltrating these gangs? Like, how did we get from here to here? Like, this is what you do with your time, you know? It's just amazing to me. I think about that kind of stuff all the time. It just fascinates me. Uh, this is a book about a violent gang, so obviously there are all kinds of content warnings, including violence, sexual assault, racism, drug use, and abuse, and murder. This is Riding with Evil, Taking Down the Notorious Pagan Motorcycle Gang by Ken Croak with Dave Wedge. Awesome. Well, we're going to end on a dark note because my next <laughs> final pick is kind of dark. Um, it is a sequel, and it's kind of hard to talk about this book without also talking about the first book because you do need to read them in order. So I'm going to talk about both. So the books I'm going to talk about are The Initial Insult, which came out last year, and The Last Laugh, which comes out today by Mindy McGinnis. And oh my gosh, The Initial Insult was my one of my favorite books of last year. 
They are dark Edgar Allan Poe retellings set in contemporary rural Ohio. All sorts of like small town mysteries, dark family secrets, like everything that you would expect, basically, if Edgar Allan Poe were writing about a small rural Ohio town. So in The Initial Insult, which is a loose retelling of The Cask of Amontillado and Mask of the Red Death, there is, are two girls. They were used to be best friends, Tress and Felicity. Uh, when they were kids, Felicity was sleeping over at Tress's house and all of a sudden had to go home and demanded to be taken home in the middle of the night. Tress's parents agreed and they put her in the car to drive her home and they were never seen from again. Felicity showed up on the banks of the river the next day, cold, wet, with no memory of what happened. Tress's life pretty much deteriorated after that point, like without her family. She had to go live with her grandfather, who is very neglectful, bordering on abusive. And he runs this sort of side road highway attraction with wild animals. It's basically like Tiger King, but way sketchier. And like she has lived her life, like her entire teenage years growing up in this really horrible situation. And she harbors such great resentment to Felicity because she's certain Felicity knows what really happened, but refuses to tell the truth. So on the eve of a party, She kidnaps Felicity and takes her to a basement and bricks her up behind a wall in an abandoned coal chute. And basically every time she lays down a brick, she's like, you got to tell me the truth or I'm just going to keep adding bricks. And so they have like this really tense night in which a lot of stuff happens. I'm not going to say what because you've got to read it. Um, But one of the things that happens is one of the panthers at her grandfather's roadside attraction escapes and... That also causes a lot of mayhem. So the la- the initial insult like ends on a literal cliffhanger where you're not sure what's going to happen next. The last laugh picks up immediately after that aftermath of the party and all of like the havoc that has been wreaked. Basically, there's a missing person. There's still a panther on the loose. Somebody has been attacked by said panther, but cannot go to the hospital because that would kick off an investigation that might lead to the truth about what happened at the party. And it's it's dark. I really enjoyed this book because, well, first of all, I've been dying to know what happens next. Um, second of all, I enjoyed that Mindy McGinnis added another per- character perspective. So the first book is dual point of view between Tress and Felicity. The second book, you get another character perspective. Again, I'm not going to tell you who because it's a little bit of a spoiler. And that is really awesome to, I think she does such a good job of getting into each character's minds. And with both books, she does a really excellent job of like taking a situation where one character sees the situation in a very you know straightforward way but then the other character sees a situation from a completely different um, angle and you know the truth is probably somewhere in between and I think that's really hard to do as an author but you know Mindy McGinnis pulls it off so the last laugh is also a retelling of some Edgar Allan Poe works. It's a retelling of the Telltale Heart. And there's two others. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I tried to find which other two stories, um, the titles, and I'm blanking on them, which is really embarrassing because Mindy and I did an event like only a few weeks ago. And she said the titles. And I was like, oh, those are lesser known 
Poe stories that I had not read. I was like, I got to go read those. And then like, yeah, I've forgotten. I'm so sorry, but read it. And if you are more well-read in Poe than me, you can let me know which stories those are. So that is The Initial Insult and The Last Laugh. Honestly, one of like the best, darkest YA duologies I've ever read. And quick content warning for violence and abuse and a lot of like animal peril. So yeah. It was it was great though. I really enjoyed them. So okay, two things. One, like Mindy McGinnis, it's like every time she writes a book, she's like, let me see if I can outdo myself in dark <gasps> yes. and twisted. Because <laughs> I mean, this is just her speed all the time. You know, is like heading straight for really dark and disturbing. Yeah. It's great. Also, Cask of Amontillado, I know how it's pronounced, I know how it's spelled, but forever in my head when I think of the story, it's a cask of armadillo. <laughs> I just that's just what the word is in my head. Even when, like, I hear people say it, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. But, and I know it's not Armadillo. That's a totally different story. Maybe somebody has already written that one. I don't know. But that's just what I think of. That's fair. They, there was a question the other day on, like, who wrote the first detective story. Uh, it was on Jeopardy. And and I was like, Edgar Allan Poe. And my husband was like, what? <laughs> I was like, yeah, he's, and he, he had no idea. And then, so then I asked some of my other friends and they were like, what? I was like, yeah, he's credited. I mean, I'm sure he can't be the first person to have ever written a detective story, but he's credited with writing, like, the first well-known detective story, which is wild. So enough about him. Oh, I'll tell you one more funny thing, though. I did have a, a co-worker who used to call him Ethan Allen Poe, which is, like, I guess, like, a scary furniture maker. Yeah. Anyway, um, so those are our new picks. What are you going to read next? Oh, my goodness. Um, well... I think besides wanting to read like all of the books that you have talked about, I think <laughs> next is up is going to be The Verifiers by Jane Peck, which I know that you Yay! have read and you did an event with her. Uh, that has been on my TBR for months and I finally got a copy. So I'm that's probably going to be very soon on the horizon. That's a good one to pick. She is an absolute delight. I got to do her launch and that was so much fun. I, you know, I just every time I get to do an author event, I'm just like, pinch me. <laughs> And, and we're going to be doing one we are. together soon. The date of which is escaping me now. April 6th. Awesome. Yes. So if you follow us on social media, we'll be linking to that, I'm sure. And next, I just got my hands on Killers of a Certain Age by Deanna Rayborn, who you might know from the Veronica Speedwell Mysteries and a bunch of other mystery series. Uh, this is... The first, I don't know if it's going to be a series or if it's a standalone, I just got it, about a group of women assassins in their 60s who are retiring and go on a vacation to celebrate their retirement, but someone is out to get them because when you're an assassin, you can't ever really atti attire. <laughs> you can't ever really <laughs> retire. You can wear great attire, but you can't ever really retire. So it sounds lots of fun. That does. Yeah, I'm I'm really into these, you know, older protagonist adventure stories that are flying down the pike at us. So that is it for today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. Tirza is on Twitter and Instagram at Tears of Price. I mostly hang out on Instagram at Franzen Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave a rating or a review. 
uh, or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps other book lovers to find us, and we just love telling people about books. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.